Welcome to episode 13 of the podcast. This is our final episode of season two, and we've saved one of the most important and interesting discussions for last, and that is mental health. We're joined today by chartered psychologist Jess Branch to explore this topic. More people are talking about mental health, which is amazing. And here on the podcast, we always emphasize the role of mental health in your health and fitness journey. So Jess, we can't wait to get deeper into this topic with you. And thanks so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. On this cold, cold morning. Yeah. I think it's colder than the UK, Andy. Probably the last couple of days has been raining here. Like, you know, so it feels warm here, but on if I was to look at a thermometer, you guys have still got a hotter temperature. You just yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. No, so not today. Know. English summer. I think we, we clocked to seven degrees the other day. Wow. Yeah, but in the morning, you know what it's like in Kenya. Like, yeah, especially if you live over either end of the city, so either Karen or like the Wunda Mafeger area, it gets a bit chillier, but you know, it's just, you get, it's that altitude, it just makes you feel like it's even colder, a bit like the UK, any little bit of sunshine in the UK feels yeah. like you're walking sun, you know. <laughs> Jess, you're, you're in Karen, are you? I am, no. yes. Yeah, just around the corner from you guys, I think. Okay. Not far. Not far. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm watching you. Yeah, I'm watching you. <laughs> <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about yourself. So what got you into um, psychology? Where did you study? And kind of what are you doing now? Sure. Um, it's always it's always been psychology for me. And I do, I've been asked to sort of, this question before of um, why psychology and how psychology and I'm not entirely sure where it came from um, but from the age of about 16 I've always been interested in sort of I guess the human process and human behaviors and relationships um, at those early early stages there was no connection to me in terms of working with the mind and the body and sort of health related injury that came later but there was this sort of interest in I guess rehabilitation in the broader sense of the word but more thinking about the mental health side of things um, so I started I studied in South Africa um, and did my sort of first four years of training there. The route to becoming a chartered psychologist is a lovely long one. I can um, imagine, it's not yeah. Grueling assessment, as yeah. it is in a lot of healthcare professions, yeah. um, similar to what you guys do as well. There are lots of sort of ethics and standards that need to be met to be accredited, um, and that was really important to me. Um, and I also didn't rush the process. I didn't want to be a 27-year-old psychologist. I wanted some life behind me. Yeah. Um, so I worked in different areas of psychology before I honed in on the sport and exercise route. Um, so I worked in, I guess when I finished uni, I, was, I had two routes that I was considering one was sport and exercise and the other one was forensics so two completely different worlds and which is another reason why I figured it would be good to go out into the world and and work in the field of psychology and psychology and mental health is just such a huge area there are umbrella terms for so many different um, areas of work from working with kids with learning difficulties to offenders with schizophrenia to corporate wellness you know it's so huge so when we say oh i'm a psychologist there's there's so many questions that need to follow that um which is great to have this opportunity to sort of share um what it is that you know for you guys to be asking practitioners about what it is that you actually do what philosophies do you align with who do you work with so that clients can make some really informed decisions about who they work with. So it's um, even though the sort of title of psychologist is there, and that was always important to me as well. Um, you know what happens behind that, and what we actually do is very unique, um, and our philosophies are very unique. Um, 
So for me, after working, I worked in the prison system, I worked in learning difficulties, I worked in addiction, I sort of bounced around a bit. And there was this common theme throughout for me that movement and being outside were really sort of potent factors that influenced our health and well-being. That was always there. No matter if I was sort of volunteering in a offending unit in South Africa with schizophrenic patients or whether I was working with in a private clinic with people flying in from all over the world to deal with addictions there was no matter where I went that was a really strong theme for me so that's why I decided to focus on sport and exercise um, and that I completed my training in the UK so it was the sort of the final processes were doing a master's and then supervised experience sort of out in the fields, making sure that we do everything ethically and we meet certain competencies so that we can be released out into the wild. Um, but alongside that, I think, you know, it's, it's um, psychology and working with people, as you guys know as well, there's so, so much about our own experiences that we bring to the table. Um, and life kind of threw me a couple of curveballs during my training, which really influenced my practice, but also reinforced this idea of, again, movement and being outside and mind-body connection. And that was when I was 19, I had a, a really serious spinal injury, spinal accident when I was 19. And then more recently, when I was 29, um, I went through cancer treatment. And there was a big you know, the processes around those two sort of major life events really influenced how I want to work and, and what I guess the philosophy is behind my work. So I'm now back home in Kenya, which is great. Um, and shall I explain a little bit about the setup of my practice or do you need to interrupt at this point? No, no. <laughs> no, I... Um... I just think your your journey is amazing and yeah how it takes years and years to sort of I mean all the, all your study and everything and I mean sadly that is the opposite of PT you can do your PT course pretty quickly which I think it yeah. should take longer um, but it, it is like you say so important when these kind of things happen to you and how they shape sort of what you become and I think how you can then really empathize with um with people but you know please tell us about your yeah, yeah how your setup is now it's really um i just want to just point out it's really it's awesome to hear you clear use word empathize when you're coming from a personal training aspect i think that's really cool that you've got that sort of mindset behind what you do um so yeah so where i am now is a I've sort of set up privately and there are three tiers I guess to what I'm doing um, and one is working privately with individuals and small groups and that is mainly people living with health conditions um, or injuries and that's probably what complements what you guys do most so I guess that would be an area that we can dig around a little bit more yeah um but this so and then the second aspect is developing a sort of outdoor healthcare initiative um called find your wild which will take to businesses schools um locals wellness travel international wellness travel um and that is very much geared around being outside and movement outside not sort of having to climb mountains and you know, run the next ultra marathon. It could yeah. just be going for a walk or throwing a frisbee around. You know, it's a very sort of gentle philosophy of physical activity and exercise outside. Um, and then the third aspect is more community based. So working with local communities in Kenya, developing mental health programs. Mm -hmm. um, it's always been really important to me to have a sort of spectrum of influence and clients i guess so having the more private and then that, that running down all the way through to sort of grassroots more yeah, sort of grassroots work yeah. so that's where i'm at at the moment yeah no i love i love that approach having yeah sort of yeah from private to community it's so it's so important 
Um, yeah. And yeah, we, we talk a lot on the podcast about mental health. Um, yeah, in relation to fitness, but also like you're just getting outside the importance of nature, I think is just, you know, so important. And also with um, bodybuilding, um, how, yeah, mental health plays a massive part in that. Um, so um, I think, yeah, let's talk a bit about the sort of, sort of sports and sort of injury sides of things and um, we've all we've all suffered from injuries ourselves uh, Andy's got quite yeah. a few and he's leading oh. his, his, his list is there yeah, when you reach 40 like me you yeah. know you, you end up your body's held together with blue tack yeah. oh, you're doomed Andy you're doomed. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I've had some really serious injuries not you know nothing luckily yeah nothing crazy massively serious like you know Ripped, ripped from the tendons of my bicep off, you know. Oh. That's un- op- inoperable. Well, it could be operated on, but it's not going to really change much. Yeah. So, uh, a friend of mine is a consultant, or fit consultant in the UK, so it wouldn't bother. You know, yeah. What could cause more damage having the operation? If it's working, yeah, just it's not, yeah. not, not going to change too much, he says. Um, I need double knee transplants. Replacement. Yeah, I've got no anterior cruciate ligament in either knee, no meniscus in this in my uh, right knee. Again, you know, I've got you know arthritis man and stuff, but you know, I don't personally. I don't let it hold me back. If I want to do something, I just do it. You know, if it hurts a little bit, as long as it's not. One of those pains where you know you're doing new damage. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. It was just aches and you know, a bit of swelling in my knee. I, I can't like, go to the territory nowadays. So. Yeah, well... Uh, it's interesting, not... the, the kind of the effects of the different types of injuries as well and how they impact individuals. So often... So I worked in professional sport for quite a while and it was those niggles it was those things that you can't do something majorly about that would actually have the biggest psychological impact sometimes because there was it was just it would flare up at really sort of unpredicted times most annoying times yeah. yeah yeah exactly and really get in the way of training and selection and you know especially with young athletes who are sort of figuring out their pathway and so much is based around how they perform on a day-to-day basis and then they just one day on like selection day or big game day the niggle flares up and it's that was played on their mind so much more than if a rugby player had an ACL and had to have that done and it was like a clear okay nine months out you know yeah, I can true. I can park that and put that aside the time for rehab that was almost easier to deal with yeah yeah so rugby's kind of what done my knees in um well, I blame actually running, distance running, and playing rugby. Um, you know, Your knees have no chance. No, they do. Never But yeah, so, but I think for me, it wasn't so much, because, you know, when, you know, we cleared and did the you know, arthroscopy, actually on my right knee, I was 23 when I destroyed that one. And they, they sort of looked at it and said, don't play contact sport again. I was like, all right, getting thumbs up, went out, my arm, picked me up from the hospital and she goes, oh, where do you want me to drop you off? I was like, oh, rugby club, I've got training. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so for me, it didn't really hold me back. You know, really? I think the only issue was ever since then, you know, because I know the stability isn't there. You know, I know I have to keep working out my legs because if I don't train my legs for a little while, where I've had other injuries, my knees just sort of feel really loose and wobbly. Mm. Um, but I think I used to carry it a little bit in games. I think there's always that psychological thing where I like to take contact on my terms because I was always so worried about my knee. And but you know, and maybe that that influenced how I play the game. I'm not, you know, I'm not 100 sure. In the moment, I don't think it did. But looking back, it may have done subconsciously. You know, yeah. sort of, you know, contact decisions I've made while you know, or offloading decisions probably built around this sort of thing in the back of my head about oh, I'll protect my knee a little bit when I did the other one yeah. I was and again same thing tore my cruciate ligament went to the doctor he laughed that I'd been playing rugby on the other one for so long and not really had a major issue <laughs> so we yeah. carried on 
no one's ever tried rebuilding my ACLs because they're like, you know, just keep training, you know, yeah. hamstrings. What you say there about that, the re-injury is, so from the sort of the mindset side of things is we know that there are sort of three quite clear stages that we go through post-injury. So once the injury, say it's, say it's an impact injury, something that's quite clear, there was an event, something happened, and we had a physical injury. There's sort of three stages that we work through from a psych perspective. And that first one is the sort of the initial stress and the emotion and the, uh, yeah, it's a much more sort of emotionally driven stage, that first phase where we're coping with what's happening. We're, we're coping with the like trauma, I guess, of mm-hmm. the injury. And then as that stage comes to an end, we move into the more rehabilitation. So as a site, we'd be working around more sort of strategies like goal setting and working with PTs and physios to look at that rehabilitation process and help that athlete move through it as effectively as possible. And then the third stage is what geared me towards saying this, is what Andy's saying, is that fear of re-injury. So as, say going back into the gym or going back to contact sport um whatever it is that there's that and yeah and that and this is where i guess the mind body connection is so key because we need to be able to know okay am i am i going into this am i compensating am i sort of restricting my movement and looking after i mean you guys will know far more about the sort of the movement side of things but am i moving in a certain way that's actually putting me in a position where i'm more likely to injure myself and just helping that that person with that mind-body connection to and work around that fear of re-injury because we've all got it i think we've all everyone on this call can relate to that fear of like oh is it going to happen again or oh am i going to do it to the other side and oh is it going to put me out for another three weeks i don't want to go through that again you know that fear is all is is really real isn't it oh yeah big time i and i i think what you said earlier just is so true how all these little niggles are way worse um and i mean and I, mine wasn't a serious injury, but you know, since then, it, and always in the back of my mind that it's going to happen again. So yeah. I think a lot of people don't even realize that there is someone like you that they can go to for this, you know, to talk about, you know, an injury. I think people just think, oh, well, I'll go and see the physio, and you know, that's about yeah. it, and then like just carry on with it. But like even, yeah. even I think the psychological aspect comes in where like. Say you've had a, a relatively serious injury. You know, I had a, a guy I was training who hurt his shoulder, and every time he got say DOMS or his shoulder felt a bit tight, possibly just from the training. His next session, he would go lighter. He'd be like, "Well, it's probably not the injury because if it's not a real sharp yeah. pain while you're lifting, you're probably not really damaging. It's just tight. Yeah, you know, you stretch it off the mobility. So you know, so people hold back their, I think, potential progress." Mm-hmm. based off these you know the idea that any pain is obviously connected to the injury rather than actually your body's relatively decent if you're healthy at healing yeah. you've got to do everything you can to make sure you know you've got the mobility and movement but the mental side of that is a lot harder yeah think, change because yeah you want you, you get into that protectionist yeah because yeah. uh, I remember when my shoulder was paining, the good thing the physio did, she said, do not stop anything you're doing. Just yeah, stop yeah, what causes yeah, you. Yeah, you pain and then we find the range of motion that works. That way your, the nervous system doesn't go into that like, protection. yeah, I can't do this if I do this. So over time we just, it's been like 10 months maybe, and my range of motion is back, but she never... She never once said stop. She was like, nope, we'll just need to recorrect that, like that message to your brain. You listened, you listened to that message and you carried it forward. Yeah. A lot of people will still listen to the voice in their head saying, no, this this doesn't feel fine. It's a bit like, say, you have a car crash and you're driving or your car breaks down and the next time you drive it, you hear like a slight rattling sound, so you just pull over straight away. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out like anything, but, you know? Yeah, but that's where it'd be great if people knew that there's someone like Jess yeah. they can talk that's to about that. Yeah, that's where that. she comes in. Um, yeah. And so, where would someone sort of 
come when rather would someone come and see you just if they had an injury is it like when you worked with athletes was it like just after the injury or when was the sort of norm it varied i think you know so much of psychology work is 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 effective and it works when that person is open to it is open to the conversation is open to learning that might be immediately after the injury it might be um when or it might be a referral from a physio for example or from some like from you guys it's just like oh this this client is not adhering to a rehab program or is just not following through with some of the more physical guidance um so referrals might come a bit later down the line um but essentially you know what uh, what happens usually when we have an injury or a trauma is like the mind goes that way and the body goes that way it's like a protective mechanism yeah. isn't it? they're just not working in unison so whenever and that plays out in different ways some people with injuries are super self-aware and patient i think that's a big part of it is you know some we've become very used to quick fixes in this day and age haven't we Um, and exactly as leon saying you know there was some patience and there was sort of rejigging and there's awareness and reactivity to what your body was telling you and over time biomechanically i guess it might be the word it's sort of realigned and you're able to be functional to the place to an extent that you want to be functional um a lot a big a big part of it so we're having this conversation potentially let's say that a client assumes what well, we assume that a client knows that they need support so a lot of, and that's not necessarily the case and as you're saying clear like people don't necessarily know that psychs do this kind of work yeah. so a big part of i guess what's important is this sort of stage of education for some people about understanding and that is a collaboration between mental health practitioners and personal trainers like you guys or physios to help that person understand actually what's going on um from a knowledge point of view Um, and i think that that can be done quite informally without someone feeling overwhelmed by oh my gosh does this mean I have to go to a shrink? It's not, and this is all about the language that's used to introduce the idea of speaking to a psychologist as well. So I work very much from a kind of personal development and growth aspect as opposed to a more sort of clinical, pathological side of things. Um, so you know, that's important. I think a lot of people see psychologists and think, well, something's got to be drastically wrong. I've got to be totally dysfunctional in order to go and seek some support. But when it comes to, especially in sport and exercise, it's about, um, it's about moving forward with our experiences. It's about personal development. It's about growth. It's about different perspectives and having a space to be able to explore those. So this is a really long way of me answering your question, Claire. But I guess guess it it really is dependent. You know, it's not a concrete answer of sort of when, but it's the awareness that those conversations can take place and and reacting to when we might see that a client may be finding things a bit more difficult or isn't adhering to rehab or has had a major trauma, major injury, um, and you think that they might just need some more emotional support. So it's quite multifaceted as well, I guess, what is on offer or what the support is. And it could be very emotional to sort of deal with the trauma and the event and the fact that the injury um, has occurred, or it might be more sort of practical sort of goal setting around rehabilitation so it is really multifaceted and is very dependent on what the client needs yeah i can assure you when i got my first impingement i'd have been a client i never (laughs) took my physio seriously the max i did maybe was five days and i was like screw this i'm going to squat again and then injury again then back to the physio is like what did you do it's like I tried with a lightweight. I just needed to see. It's like I said, four weeks. And I'm like, ah, four days. I had four days. So 
I'd have been yeah. a huge client of yours. Patient, okay. <laughs> yeah. The of not being patient enough with yeah. either coming back from injury or even just progress in general. It's like you don't you know, to accept. In life, <laughs> anything in life, we all want it to happen immediately. We, we forget yeah. that, you know, sit back and actually be involved in the process rather than just purely focus on an end outcome. And I think, you know, that comes with time. But, yeah. you know, I think way society's geared with the social media world is, is you know immediate satisfaction situation you know mm. and that makes it even harder i imagine guys now even you know they see guys on instagram having platelet shots and stuff and coming back mm. within three weeks from an injury thinking oh, i'll just come back in three weeks you know mm. and you know, they don't realize these people have got a different agenda mm. they're just competing or whatever so I, don't know. I think yeah, there's always that rush. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure yeah, on from the from the site side. There, and that's it. There is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, especially when we're working with clients who want to move, they want to be active, and they want to have a relationship with their physical body. And maybe the long term advice or the long the benefits of being a bit more patient will have will be more impactful sort of over the long term and. Trying to uh, trying to sort of encourage someone or a client to be patient and to take the longer game is really difficult, and I'm sure you see that with with your clients as well. Um, and to build up a, a, a yes, a compassionate relationship with their body, but also an effective one where they're getting what they want from doing something physical, because that's why you know we're designed to be out and about and moving. Um, and when we're told that we can't do that for a period of time, we've got to do it differently. Our expectations can be totally turned upside down and doesn't yeah. doesn't align with with what we want. Um, and yeah, so I think there's a lot, especially with with the athletes. I and, and I've experienced it myself, especially after breaking my back. I, you know, I didn't go through rehab properly at all, and that was a mixture of things. That was. I was just about to start uni, so I just thought, oh, well, I can't be asked for this. So I want to go and like make new friends and go out boozing and like just be a, be a uni kid. Um, but also, I don't remember if I think back on that time. I don't remember being offered much physio or much sort of support in terms of PT to build up my functioning after the surgery. But then again that memory can play all sorts of tricks on it, on us, can't it? Yeah. And, and like, maybe it was there, but I was just in denial or didn't want it, or wasn't ready for it. So, you know, in my mind, I'm like, it wasn't there, <laughs> but it may well have been. Um, so, it, you know, it is. And also, I think we also need to be aware that some clients might come back five years after, if we look at major injuries, for example, we look at spinal surgery or ACL or... Um, any kind of major shoulder injury or shoulder sur sh surgery, the effects of that injury may play out five years down the line. It's not as immediate as we think, mm. always think things are. And um, we kind of think, oh, oh there's, a, there's a stress, there's an event, and we're going to react a certain way, and then we're going to deal with it. Boom, we can set that time aside. But actually, in fact, in reality, um, you know, I think go back to my spinal surgery, I don't think I really started dealing with it um, or acknowledging it as a mind and body trauma, probably yeah. until eight, nine years afterwards. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that brings me to a question, but this is more from my own experience. So, because uh, we've asked and injury-wise, you've said you see guys usually either during the physio or, or after. So in my case, I never went to the physio because I never wanted to hear the bad news. I, 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 I would have rather remained broken, continue do what, doing what I was doing. But in a way, I didn't want to know because I knew it would be you have we this. We always think the worst. Yeah, this has happened and yeah. you need to take a break for such and such a time. Yeah. So like how would... Have you ever uh, like dealt with someone who came before you to, you know, help before starting the rehab? So like getting into the mindset that you know rehab will help all that 
blah 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 like have you ever dealt with you know before like rehab just to get an athlete or you know individual just ready for the rehab process yeah so a couple of times so there are two instances that i'm thinking of and one is was with both of them are actually rugby related and one <laughs> was guys, with a young guy <laughs> back to a young guy who is having um he was a forward and repeatedly having shoulder yeah, niggles yeah. shoulder injuries and i've been working with him on other stuff as well so my approach in sport was not just to look at the sport it was a bit more holistic than that so i'd work with the athlete as a person as opposed to just what happened on field and yeah. um, so we've been working together a while and then it was clear that he would have to have um surgery on his shoulder so there was a lot of preparation work in that sense and we and that was we had a clear time frame and a clear objective that we had that you know at this point he was going to have surgery and therefore we wanted him to be prepared to a certain point before going into that i guess on the flip side working with someone who had an injury unexpectedly um but someone i'd worked with i think we've been working together for nearly 2 years um nice. so we had a really good rapport we had a really good relationship and he had a, a quite a serious head injury during a game um so that was yeah so it wasn't if i if i i think if i'd been brought in after the head injury to work with him it would have been a very different story but mm. because we had that trust and he knew me and he knew my approach he wanted to go back out and play really quite soon after this mm. head injury and just linking that back to the sort of educational aspect of it is because he actually he was quite young he didn't actually understand what was happening physically mm-hmm. to his body after after a head injury so once i'd explained that to him and explained the sort of cumulative effects of head injuries mm-hmm. he was like okay well i need to plan this rehab a little bit better i didn't quite understand that and mm-hmm. um, so again there's this assumption that i was like oh he's a rugby player of course he's going to know what a head injury does yeah, and the physical nope he had no yeah. idea and he'd been playing rugby for 3 4 years so yeah so that gave us an opportunity then to kind of plan his rehab because we had a grounding together um so, yeah so those those two separate examples probably yeah. probably highlight the pre-bit a little bit more yeah um so do do sort of i mean this was was this in the UK or in Yeah, yeah. So, this is a, okay. so do sort of most teams have someone like you to work with everyone or do they come or is it just on a personal basis? Yeah, good question. A bit of both. So mm. um it depends on the sport. So with some of the professional sports, so rugby, football, cricket, they are starting sites are becoming more common. Um when I first started training in like 20 when i first yeah about 2010 when i first moved to the uk it was more of a rarity mm-hmm. um i'm not when it comes to sort of athletics and more olympic sports i think it's there are organizations like the english institute of sport or the equivalent wherever in the world that will have sites um within that structure within that as um but it's but i think it depends on the challenges i guess i think they are still sports psychs in those contexts are still used very much for sort of performance and mm-hmm. how to how to sort of reach optimal performance as opposed to more wellness well-being support around injury there's a lot of um cases that I came across of athletes being injured and I've been working with an organization and I want to work with that athlete to support them through an injury whereas the, the management are like well it doesn't matter we can just replace them with someone else so why would we give them the support so you know we need to use somewhere else to yeah. focus on that person I really struggle with that yeah that's yeah, cutthroat it's a changing it's a changing atmosphere of sport like as you go through the levels there's more and more support But like yeah you because know, when you get to like a grassroots especially rugby like you know, you work your way up like when I you know so I started playing at 6 in the 80s and 
you know, I've, I've still been playing up until recently. Now, I think I'm now retired, I'm not sure. 100 You just become a veteran and play occasionally. Um, no, so, but like, all the way through, you know, even like things like seeing a physio, you know, clubs, the higher up you go, you get a club physio. Yeah, true. Talk about seeing a psychologist and things like the head injuries, brilliant, classic example. I remember getting knocked out in a game and, you know, the following week I was at training, the coach was like, How's your head feeling? You, you're available to play on on um, on Saturday. I mean, you know, selections tonight. I need to know for selection. Meeting. And you know, without having a sit down and chat, you know, you think you're indestructible when you're a young rugby player, especially if you're quite good and you go up through the levels quite quickly. You think, you know, physical injuries go over those, heal up. Yeah. Head injury, yeah, fine. It's just a little bit of knock on the head. Take a couple of days off training. Act <laughs> to it. But, because I think there is that, as you're working up for your system, it's not until you get to the sort of top end, you know, where I sort of finish up my rugby playing, really, in the UK, where there's a lot more support and also understanding from coaching. Mm-hmm. In the early part of grassroots rugby, where you may be a junior or cult. Zero education. Where like, <laughs> even in the county setup or southwest or whatever, there's a lot of pressure to play. Because, you know, especially like representational games like county or regional games or national games, national schools or something, you know, you will not tell them you've got an injury because you feel these opportunities don't come. And for a lot of young guys trying to make it, there is that pressure to roll out in the field and be indestructible. Mm-hmm. Even if when you get home at night, you're popping ibuprofen like a, a champion. I used to take... 800 milligrams of ibuprofen to play sometimes <laughs> you know, just to be able to get on the pitch yeah. you know and that was the norm you know so I think there is that need but also a need from from the grassroots clubs starting it with the youth size of the youngsters to get them used to undergoing and maybe working with a club physio and having a mm. club psychologist you know because often it may, you know the physios are you know they, they give clubs discount rates because they're normally a member of the club. Or, and as you get into bigger clubs, they become employees. But, you know, something like that at grassroots would work brilliantly, you know? Yeah, and I think that's it's a really important point because when we talk about sort of sports psychology or sport and exercise psychology, we think, oh, well, that's just for athletes or just for people who are pursuing a career in sport, like a performance sport. But it's always interesting. So I kind of I worked in professional sport for a few years, and then wanted to do something a bit more grassroots, as it were. So I linked to a physio clinic. Um, I was living in Cardiff at the time, and I went with a physio clinic. And I was like, I'm not sure that people who are just sort of going to physio will want this kind of work. I was really sort of skeptical about it, and it was amazing the response that people who weren't in sport for performance, they were all involved for the recreational reasons, um, but they were still getting some physio support and they wanted the psych element to it. And it was really, and I'm slightly different from what you're saying, Andy, it wasn't sort of club related, club um, sport related, but it was just, it was really sort of reassuring to see that, that yeah, in the sort of wider society that people with health conditions, and there was almost, and that's where the sort of, I guess, the um, health condition aspect comes in as well, because a lot of the clients that I came across, yes, they may have come initially for an injury, but they may have also had some comorbid health conditions that they also wanted some support with. So whether that was um, sort of, whether it was them being overweight or respiratory conditions, or they've gone through cancer treatments, there was often a wider health picture, a health story beyond that presenting injury. And that's what I really started to sort of enjoy and found matched my sort of it, my more integrative, holistic approach because it wasn't just sort of as one-dimensional as it was in professional sport. I could actually work with people on their whole health experiences, which really kind of yeah resonated with me a lot more. Yeah, well, I think same for personal trainers, um, because it's, it's, I mean, we generally don't train high level athletes. Um, you know, we're, we're training 
your average person, your gen pop person, you know, whom whom who might have, you know, those those conditions. It might be obese or have diabetes, and um, yeah. And so, just I think that holistic approach is so important, and we always talk about that. And as a personal trainer, you we're with clients a lot, so we hear a lot, and um, there's zero training really in in any personal training course on sort of sort of the psychological side of things that's why I, I hope any personal trainers listening here you know will feel comfortable to get in touch with you to talk about maybe you know referring their clients because for many of us it's just it's really out of our depth you know you, you just don't know how to deal with I mean people a lot of clients tell us you know a lot and you're like um I just I don't know what I'll listen I'll emphasize yeah. but I just don't know how to help you yeah. and um so that's why in in anyone's sort of health and fitness journey like i remember when when you got in touch with me i'm like you're the missing link to sort of everything that's going on here because we, we we collaborate a lot with physios because we think that's really important but the whole mental health side of things is is crucial oh, and like you say i think people do still think that you have to be really dysfunctional to you know to talk to someone um you know to talk to a psychologist a bit but you you really don't but to take away that stigma um you know it, it, it just takes a lot of sort of awareness and education um it does and, and for many many years mental health was about mental ill health and we're only recently starting to change our language around it and and you know that the ideal is that as easy as it is for us to pop to the doctors then get some antibiotics or go and speak to a doctor about a stomach pain um, or get a blood test. The hope is that when it comes to mental health, we do have this more fluid relationship with our mental health that we do understand that it's dynamic and it changes and it peaks and it troughs. We've kind of gone from this pathology of mental health to then conceptualizing it as something where we always need to be happy and bouncy and you know, well-being is about being positive um, to hopefully now moving to a place of balance and realism where, you know, well-being and health is not about being positive 24-7 and it's not about being t- completely dysfunctional, that we experience both, that we're really complex beings and that we need to embrace that complexity. But I quite... I feel personally I've got to a place now where if I feel anxious or I feel low or I feel happy, I'm like, oh, this is telling me something. This is me being in touch with what I'm designed to be feeling. Whereas before, I've kind of been like, oh, I feel anxious. I need to get rid of it. I need to get rid of that anxiety. I need to get rid of that low mood because I'm supposed to be balanced and happy the whole time. Um, And it just doesn't work. And we're not designed to be like that. And it's... And I I do feel that a lot of the sort of mental health challenges and conditions have come from this pressure that's built where we don't feel that we can express our anxiety or our low mood or our fear. All these emotions that evolutionary, um, we're actually designed to have. We need them because they keep us alert and they keep us alive. Um, And we've been kind of conditioned to think that we need to get rid of them. Yeah. So it's yeah, I think that and what I'm what I'm saying is that a lot of a lot of the the work that I do now is to help people tell their stories so that that awareness is built. So this is how my anxiety is. This is my relationship with anxiety. This is how it plays out. This is my relationship with low mood or we don't even have to coin it as anxiety or low mood, but this is just my story. This is my this is my story with mental health and it's not about waiting until it gets completely dysfunctional or gets completely hyper and then looking for the support and so yeah it is it is as you say this there's so much awareness um needs to happen and that doesn't have to be sort of major campaigns around how we need to be how our mental health needs to be but it's creating safe spaces for people to have conversations um, creating communities around it and understanding that mental health is not mental ill health. It's similar to, you know, physical health. It changes 
from day to day. You know, you guys know you can. Oh my gosh, my bodybuilding jargon like language is not up to scratch. But <laughs> you can <laughs> bench a certain weight yeah. on a Monday and not be able to do it on a Wednesday. You know, um, and that the acceptance and the sort of processes that go on around that. You know, that's just, it. Kind of is pretty cool that we are so versatile that we've kind of been conditioned to think that actually it's not we need to be really predictable and straightforward and robotic <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely on that you know something like a, a sports psychologist working with schools PE department the kids used to like you know it could be like you know dealing with a rugby team at school and mm. those guys then will start at an earlier age so actually as they go through their life they realize speaking to a psychologist or a counselor or anyone else is actually relatively proactive yeah. and mm. helpful mm. you know maybe one way to get it in found foundations in, into kids yeah and it becomes a norm then those conversations are just sort of expected yeah yeah yeah, that would be amazing. That would be so nice. Well, because that, um, not last week, but the week before we were talking to a friend of Andy's all about kids and exercise and because it, it's also competitive when you're younger. Um, I mean, we were at the same school and it was like, if you were good, you know, you were good. If you weren't, then you were put on the bench. And that must come with, I've talked to a few friends, you know, and they're like, I'm scarred from, for life from what happened to yeah. me at sports and primary school. Um, just feelings of inadequacy. Um, so yeah, to have someone at a young age, I think that would be. That's the opposite nice. effect if you were good, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But I there is a we. I work for a really um, an awesome organisation in the UK, actually called School of Hard Knocks, um, and we worked with kids and from schools in sort of lower income areas in the UK and I, that's when I was in Cardiff so it was all in South Wales and the aim was to combine life skills and rugby um, for kids who were basically on the brink of exclusion and to help them stay at school and the, the physical, social and emotional benefits of being involved in that they had the sort of psych support and the mental health support and they had the movement and the sport alongside it and it was such a powerful combination for those kids yeah I mean something like that would be awesome here as well yeah so I talked about setting up a sort of a rugby charity for kids yeah, leaving or teenagers leaving mm. children's homes Mm. Yeah, to give them some sort of sense of community and family still, though we've left them at home. And then along the same lines, you know, because, you know, I know how important rugby is. You know, I'm, I'm from Wales, actually. Yeah. Like, just up along the valley, actually. Um, not so not far from Cardiff. Okay. But, like, from where, um, yeah, so, like, where my dad's family live, that's not a rich neighbourhood. So rugby is one way for guys to get out and some of the greatest rugby players have come from you. so you know yeah. it is you can use sport and the discipline and the mentorship in sports club to actually there but I do feel there is that need to have that psychological element in there the mental mm-hmm. health element because to normalize as we said the conversations I think you know when you're young and sports a very good outlook for a lot of feelings but when you stop playing or you get an injury, you suddenly are then kind of trapped with almost you know frustration because you know you've got you suddenly don't have an outlet. And that's the same actually. And people carry that through to adulthood. I see it all the time. People get a major injury and they're just permanently angry for mm. six to eight weeks until they can do anything because they've got no mm. channeling mechanisms outside of going to the gym. COVID was a prime example. You know guys suicide rates have gone up you know gyms are closed people are unable to process their feelings through exercise mm. but exercise shouldn't necessarily be about it's great and i've always i've said yeah it's a great place in dealing with things like ptsd and creating habits but you should have other coping mechanisms yeah, yeah. outside of sport because otherwise when that's taken away from an in due to an injury or covid yeah. you, you just get trapped there 
Yeah, and I think that's the thing, is that the sport or exercise, physical activity, whatever we want to call it, is almost like the co-facilitator. It's not the thing that we become dependent on. It's not the thing that is, is, is the coping mechanism. It's a conduit to help us understand our relationships with ourselves. It has social benefits of giving us a sense of belonging. But it's teaching us how we can take that outside of that movement environment as well. It's giving us that, that mirror, I guess, for us to learn more about ourselves and what does work for us and what doesn't work for us. And so it's not just about the kind of like the sweating and releasing of aggression, even though mm-hmm. for some people that is a huge part of it. And, and it's, you know, there's a lot going on at the moment about a lot of conversations at the moment about the benefits of exercise and movement and being outside. But it's important also to acknowledge that there's a spectrum of that and that there, it does, it can become dysfunctional, it can become very dysfunctional for a lot of people. So having that mental health support and that guidance to be able to understand when it's getting a bit out of range and when it is becoming more dangerous and harmful as opposed to sort of a healthy coping mechanism is really useful as well. Yeah, especially with bodybuilding, I think, well, Leon and Andy are bodybuilders. Um, I know Andy's sitting. We'll paint you a picture. Andy's like sitting in his singlet. There, yeah. he's been eating his rice. Leon's just been training legs. No, it's, yeah, it's it's true though. Bodybuilders, we we enjoy the extreme, which is not necessarily healthy. We, it's more we enjoy being in the. It's like the zero point one percent of the world. There's there's that. You know, most bodybuilders have gone through something or go through. You know, there's always a mental aspect to it. It's either yeah. a rough childhood, exactly. or, um, maybe you didn't uh, sports didn't go well, so you, you found this place. You were bullied, or there's always mostly almost you can call it negative. There's um, most bodybuilders. It's it's just a nice way to channel aggression, and then that's why I guess. Most of us, uh, it's easy for us to just be extreme. It can be extreme with the diet, but it's not necessarily healthy. It's not. Yeah. Is it, well, yeah, we couple all that with the body dysmorphia issue. There's that, yeah. Because <laughs> that's a massively glowing thing anyway. And, and you know, we, we've known about it in, in girls and women for a long time. You know, and it's, and it's very much prevalent in young men boys as well especially nowadays with social media but in a bodybuilder's mind you're never big enough you're never lean enough yeah you know, you're never lifting enough you know because that's just the way because the guys you're looking at on stage you know maybe bigger but also when you're prepping you're depleted and your brain's not quite functioning as it should because <laughs> you don't have enough carbohydrates in your diet or enough essential fats yeah you, know, you think everything's rubbish yeah. And I think, you know, prep life, especially when you're getting ready for a show and your calories are low, you just think, you know, you're like, I'm not I'm not going to be ready in time. I'm not. And, you know, you just, and it creates a lot of stress for a lot of guys. And, you know, and, you know, as I remember, you know, when I competed last year, it was the case of, you know, I remember saying to, you know, my coach saying, you know, flip-flopping between I'm not lean enough I'm not big enough <laughs> and he was like look there's always going to be a guy bigger than you at a show there's always going to be a guy leaner than you at a show just coming between somewhere yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. it's yeah. just last year is is when I had a few bodybuilders actually use like a psychologist during their yeah, they do yeah oh, some good. some of the pros yeah. actually do and I had no idea what that yeah. meant but yeah. now when we talk I realise it it because it's like Andy said, you wake up and you're like, crap, it's 20 weeks out and I'm still small. And I guess just talking to someone to get you into that mindset as you go along really, really helps. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's your coach who's who's just your coach. He's there to, you know, yeah. try, push you, validate that we are on track. And then there's you in the mirror and you're always like, ah, oh, geez, my legs are small now. This is... and there's always that self-judgment, which yeah. it's not healthy. <laughs> Have you worked yeah. with bodybuilders, Jess? 
No, I haven't actually. This oh. is always so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give you. We'll, they'll, they'll keep you busy. These we'll two. Oh, all athletes. No matter what sport, everyone's always like, "Oh, you know, us rock climbers, we're, we're the quirky bunch. Us bodybuilders, we're the quirky bunch." Yeah, there's. But what, just what, from what Leon's saying as well, it's just so interesting that we, um, it, that sort of just proof that we just get more and more top heavy heavy in terms of our thoughts don't we and we believe all our thoughts which is something that I spend quite a lot of time talking to clients about is that we think something and immediately take it as fact yeah. and how we do <laughs> and it's like no there's a naughty our brains are this naughty little like system where it's trying to convince us to think a certain way or see a certain thing and it's not fact not fact at all it's just been generated up here so a lot of the sort of coping strategies are about dealing with those thoughts and where we put them and how we respond to them it's not about getting rid of them because they're quite useful because they challenge us and we like challenge yeah <laughs> but it's just how we respond it's all about the response yeah no and i think i mean from both leon and andy's journeys i just think yeah if or anyone else who is sort of, I mean, sort of bodybuilding is a long journey, especially if you're sort of competing and everything, to have that mental support is great because it's also hard on, you know, like friends and family. I guess with anyone who's into oh, any kind of sort of extreme sport, sport or yeah. exercise because, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you kind of don't know how to help them. And sport is extreme, yeah. even. <laughs> any sport, whether it's rugby and... Because like when I used to play football, my mom never watched because she just couldn't handle the seeing me get tackled and she's just yeah. like, what? Nah, that's just football. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but now, but now you can imagine if I if I played rugby, she'd have been like, no. Yeah, she's like, no. Like I I I I can tell that she'd never have let me out of the house because this this was football. It's, yeah. it's Rugby should just be like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I, think, I think we use sport as a, as a, as a band-aid sometimes, and it feels great. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, I've had battles with PTSD at different times from you know, my background, and you know, sport's always been great to get me into being... I mean, this is why bodybuilding suits me, because it's a, sort of a habitual process of having an organised... A routine, wake yeah. Up, it's got, yeah, routines, everything. But then it becomes everything, and then it's hard to, to work outside of routine <laughs> and outside of scheduling. And, um, you know, I think that's the thing. It's like, you can be too dependent on, you know, the exercise regime. And, um, you know, I think with bodybuilding you're a lot kinder to when you look at someone else's physique than you are your own. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's back to that sort of lies in your head. But, you know, you feel like, you know, you see someone and you go, oh, yeah, they look great. So you tell yep. them look great. But when you look at yourself in me, you go, oh, I look shit. Yeah. Right. And it's like, That's crazy. But they're thinking the opposite. Yeah, that's the thing, Dan. <laughs> the it's like, oh, yeah, you look great, mate. Yeah, you too. And then, but in each other's heads, you're going, oh, yeah, he's bigger than me. Or, yep. you know, smaller. And, you know, get into that sort of inner monologue where you are just not kind enough to yourself. And I think it's across society, it's not just bodybuilders. Mm. Bodybuilders is probably mm. a bit more extreme because you know, we're, we're looking at our physique a lot more yeah. um, because we have to, like in the mirror. But I think with social media, I think there's a lot of unfriendly conversations people are having with themselves mm. about how we look when they wouldn't dream about saying that to another person. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's so true, isn't it? How we speak to others, uh, well, how we speak to ourselves is so far removed from sometimes how we speak to ourselves. And creating that narrative that works for us is so important when it comes to mental health. It's about how can we develop a narrative that supports us and, and, and grows with us as opposed to just puts up barriers. And I think when it comes to working with people with health conditions, or if they say they've been through a major surgery or they're living with like chronic fatigue or diabetes and type 2 for example a later diagnosis in life the expectations of how their body was before and how their expectations of how their body is now is often in two very different places Um, and there's a lot of sort of self-deprecating self-loathing stuff that goes on upstairs as that as that person tries 
to cope with their health condition. And so much of it can be about helping that narrative to evolve to a place where it's actually supportive of where their body is and what their body's doing, rather than just like squashing it down and therefore preventing barriers to actually be able to move with it and might be moving in a different way. As you've said, Andy, you've had quite an array of different sports here, like your rock climbing and rugby and bodybuilding. And I think sometimes we think, oh, this one sport and or this one type of exercise, this is this is the thing. This is the thing that I have and this is the thing I will do for the rest of my life. Something comes along that's very unscripted and pushes us down a different path. Um, I used to compete lots of horse riding and then after um, the spinal injury, I couldn't compete for a long time. And that was... And then I actually didn't end up going back to competing. I've got a very different relationship with horse riding now where it's all about recreation and big spaces and just having fun. And I'm competitive in other ways. And ask me that 20 years ago, it would be like, no way, I'll always be competitive with horse riding. So it's amazing. And that adaptability is, is a skill that I think when adaptability, resilience, um, whatever we want to call it, is, is something that we slightly have lost touch with as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I see some mirror images in what you just said with something like, say, pregnancy. Women coming back from pregnancy and accepting their bodies changed and there's also this social pressure to be super lean postpartum super mum and dealing with then body changes and then, you know, internalised pressure. And I think, you know, when w- women give birth, that's an amazing physical feat, yeah. and but you know it has its toll on the bo- takes its toll on the body, and you know and I suppose coming back there's that big psychological barrier of when do you get back into exercise, when you know how much don't rush it, you know, and working with say you know a postnatal PT working alongside her. You know, sort of a sports performance psychologist would actually work quite nicely, mm. I feel, into getting people back into that be perfect. exercising without forcing their body to do something they probably shouldn't be doing straight away. Yeah. 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 No, that would be wonderful. Because I, I do work with pre and postnatal, Jess, so there's another. <laughs> there's another thing back on. It's oh. all about collaboration yeah. when it comes to health, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yep. We talked about so many different aspects of it. And I think what's what's key and what I hope has come out of what we've talked about is that it is health is complex and that with the sort of the physical aspect with the, with the mental aspect that that's a, that's a really integrative approach and it does it's not one or the other it's not like oh, I'm just going to work on my rehab or I'm just going to work on my PT side of things or I'm just going to go to the psych so really it's a, it's a neat package to acknowledge both and work with both yeah and I mean, we we always push that here, and I just I just think like like I said before, until I met you, I had no idea that you know that there was that kind of you know person that you could go and see about that, and it it is so important. And just urge whoever is listening, or if you know someone who needs someone like Jess, that you know you should reach out and not to feel like you have to be dysfunctional, or like Andy said before, it's more of a proactive. Um, proactive thing and so I think for a lot of personal trainers as well who listen to know that there's someone like you is great because it can weigh a lot on us like clients problems and and, and it, it does get you down at times she's like I just don't have the skills or the tools to be able to help this person um, on that side of things and so um, yeah the, the whole sort of holistic approach is I think yeah. the way forward. Definitely. Great. Well, Jess, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, and you, you might have some new clients here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the gents start competing again. No, I think you'll have a lot more rugby guys. They, they seem to. They seem to. They got issues. <laughs> break a lot. <laughs> I'm assuming on your list, number one is rugby, and then yeah, I guess the rest. Rugby is tough. Outside of sport, it's like somewhere like my my daughter when she fell off her horse. Oh yeah. Not gonna ride again. I'm not gonna get back yeah. on the horse. I think I'll get back yeah. on the horse. Guy. 
Yeah, yeah because now she, she, get, she got, but she like, got scared. But there's that sort of overlap there. I was just thinking, oh, yeah, she really probably, to, you know, get her confidence. Look, she's yeah. been back on the horse since, but she rides a lot less than before yeah. she fell off. Ah. Yeah. I think, no, you know, we've got all the horses at home, so, you know, someone's got to ride them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just jumping across six different horses. Um, exactly. Yeah. Plenty of horses in Yeah, you're like someone has to ride the horses. Just, just yeah, as I approach that as a bit a different. Hit. I that as a hit. I that as a hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. They keep trying to convince Leon to come up and learn to ride, but I'll walk. I'll walk alongside the horse. I'll walk alongside the horse. I'll, you know, do the. Whatever that. So you have to speak to a sports psychologist to get. You see, together. there we go. We have to work through there this. Why are you afraid? Yeah. I don't know. Just maybe. Uh, I don't know. To be honest. Backpedaling. Yeah. You, yeah. Um, All right. We're, we're booking the appointment yeah, now, we'll, Jess. We'll, we'll have to find out. Maybe hypnosis can work. That, that, that's a start. <laughs> Find you a nice horse, a nice old one. Yeah, but it, it needs to be strong. Yeah, stronger. A very strong. Yeah, it's one of the big ones. It has to be classic or blizzard. Or it, blizzard comes. Blizzard. Oh, that sounds yeah, it needs like to be a stronger. It's like sixteen hands, nearly seventeen hands, I think. So classic sixteen hands. Okay. Blizzard's nearly seventeen. So. Yeah, I need a big, not not a horse in the middle. Be like classic no. Or you get a really small one, and then you can just walk. Yeah, but just have your leg on each side. But you see, be off the ground. What about the small donkeys? Yeah. Yeah, they're worse because they'll be like, no, this guy, I'm tired. They're stubborn. Out you go. Oh gosh. Amazing. Well, thank you guys. It's been great. You're welcome. And um, we'll put all Jess's sort of details and contacts um, in the. Sort of info section so if you ever want to get in touch with her please do um, you can also find her on instagram and if you just want to learn more about what she does just get in touch with her or dm uh leon andy or myself and we can put you in touch um yeah such a great topic just really really enjoyed that Thank you. I enjoyed chatting to you guys. Thank you. Right, well, keep warm for the rest of the day. We might go and do some exercise, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Move around. Yeah. Okay, thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>